Welcome to the Drunkets Games Podcast. In today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the game's radar vlog that came out in March 2021, and in it, I discussed 33 new games and expansions that I have learned about over the last few months. I'll be going through these in alphabetical order, and you can find a full list in the description of this podcast. Now, as always, I do want to point out that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the campaign, and you can learn all about it by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about these games, and for each, I'll be using the Board Game Geek page to get all of this information. Now, the very first game is Age of Galaxy, which is essentially a sequel game to Age of Civilization, which I did do a sponsored tutorial for. In fact, I've already done a sponsored tutorial for Age of Galaxy as well, it just hasn't been published yet. Uh, now, this is a wonderful player game that takes 45 to 60 minutes, and in it, um, it's essentially a 4X-style experience where you are going to be uh, befriending various allies, which will give you immediate benefits and ongoing ones, and then as the game goes on, these new galaxy cards will be revealed with new planets and um, uh, things that you can explore, and um, you are essentially trying to take over these planets, trying to develop them. You can also um, uh, conquer planets with ships, and um, there's quite a bit of things you can do in this very small box game. Uh, and again, I've already filmed a tutorial for it, so um, there's a lot of information coming out for this one soon. Um, I'm not sure the exact date of the Kickstarter, but I do believe it's happening relatively soon. Uh, so yeah, a bunch of 4x goodness wrapped up in a 60 minute or so game. Um, at least that's the idea of it. All right, let's move on to Altay, Dawn of Civilization. Uh, now, the main reason this one jumped out to me is because the designers are Paolo Mori and Ole Steinis, and Paolo Mori in particular has designed a bunch of good games in the past. I'm not going to rattle a bunch of them off, but that was enough to jump out at the page to me. And um, right now, there are no images of the box cover or of the game. There's a decent-sized description over here, though, and um, the key part is um, right in the middle. It says that um, Altay, Dawn of Civilization, is an original blend of deck-building, civilization development and area expansion. Players control one of four different factions, each responsible for a different starting deck with subtle differences in the number of basic cards they get. And as you play through the game, you are going to be doing deck building in this civilization fantasy territory building style game. And that's essentially all I know. There's a bigger description, but for the most part, I need to see images to really have this make more sense. Uh, it's listed as a 2021 game uh, from Ares Games is the publisher, so hopefully we'll learn more about this one soon. But again, the designer is enough for me to be quite interested to learn more about this game because he's designed a lot of uh, good Euro games in the past. All right, next up we have Baseball Highlights the Dice Game, which re-implements Baseball Highlights 2045. Now, Baseball Highlights 2045 was a deck-building game, <clears throat> and I only played it once a long time ago. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it simulates baseball essentially in the future. And in Baseball Highlights, the dice game, it appears to be essentially trying to be a roll and write style baseball game. I don't think it's set in the future, unlike the other one. And there is a decent size description for it and a bunch of photos, which is also really nice to see. Uh, based off of the description, it seems like it's the kind of game where somebody rolls all the dice and then they make a decision. And then everybody else who didn't roll the dice also make a decision based off of what happened. And you are doing walks and home runs and, you know, people are, I think, stealing bases and all that kind of stuff in a very baseball package for a, a roll and write. And I used to love baseball. I haven't really paid attention to it much in the last eight or nine years, but like 
12 years ago, I really, really paid attention to it a lot. So there's a fondness in my heart for the game of baseball. And uh, that's enough for me to be interested in this one. In particular, I'd love to see like a video of it or something like that to see really how all of these dice work. Um, but just from the images on BGG right now, it appears that you are uh, ticking things off in your own personal boards, and the dice look great. I'm not sure if these are prototype or not, but either way, uh, I'm quite looking forward to learning more about this one. Uh, after that, we have Bytes. Uh, now, I'm not going to talk about this one much because I actually just discussed this one in a good games vlog that was posted about a week ago or so. Um, this one was a surprise to me. It was presented to me at a game night and taught to me, and I really liked it. Um, at its core, you are essentially buying stocks, which are various uh, foods at a picnic, and you gain them by moving these neutral ants forward on a line, and then you take a token next to the ant, and then once the game is over, each of the tokens in front of you will be worth a variable amount of points based off of how the ants move across the board. And so it has a stock market type of feel because each of these things is worth a variable amount of points and people are trying to get them, but you don't want to have a bunch of things that aren't worth that many points. So you're trying to weave all this together as the game is going on. And I was really impressed. Um, so definitely check out my Good Games vlog about that if you want to learn more. Um, for me, I just learned about it like a couple weeks ago when somebody taught it to me and um, I'm already interested in seeing if I can get a copy of this one. Uh, after that, we have Block and Key. Uh, now, this one was on Kickstarter. I don't think it is anymore. Uh, and I, I was this close to backing it on Kickstarter. Uh, it has a really cool um, idea here where you essentially have a two-layer uh, uh, gaming area in front of you. And on top of it, you are going to be placing these, um, these uh, Tetris-y type of blocks. Now, each person is looking at the game from a different perspective. And there are these cards that are essentially pattern matching. And from your side view, you're trying to make this pattern match up. But of course, since this is a three-dimensional type of experience, everyone's looking at it from a different way. So it's very puzzly, I imagine, as you're trying to work things in your favor. But I also imagine it could be um, very tactical as other people do things that totally mess up the patterns that you're going for. Um, I was so, so close to backing this one just on the uh, components lure alone. I love the idea of gimmicks like looking at a bunch of 3D things from a certain angle to try and make pattern matching. That sounds super cool. Um, so this is one I wouldn't mind trying to play at some point, but it wasn't quite enough for me to back the Kickstarter. Uh, next up, we have Blooming Industry. Uh, this one mostly got me because of the theme and the, um, the art. <laughs> uh, this says that uh, the tulip industry is booming and it's time to strike when the iron is hot. Your goal is to harvest, transport, and sell tulips from your farm to the market, and you have to sell them quickly. Tulip prices decrease as tulips of the same color are sold, so the quicker you sell them, the better. Um, now, apparently this is a grid movement, pattern building, tile placement, worker placement style game, and there are a bunch of images of what this looks like on BGG, which is, again, part of the reason why this one caught my attention. It looks like it has a small box and you have a bunch of square tiles with various fields of beautifully uh, colored tulips and it looks like you are actually uh, laying these out, tile laying. I'm not sure if you have your own or other if everyone's working together on the same area, but there are um, different workers on the fields. There's uh, water areas with boats on them. Uh, so I'm just intrigued. I like tile laying in general and um, I like the aesthetic of this game of, you know, uh, tulip farming and whatnot. I think that's, uh, that's interesting. That's enough to catch my attention. It's also got a beautiful box cover. Uh, all right. After that, we have Brew. Uh, this one is a new game from Pandasaurus Games, and there are uh, quite a few images on BGG and a small description. Uh, it says that in Brew, players must choose how to use element dice, either to take back control of uh, seasons uh, or as an area control game 
to procure goods at a local village in a worker placement game. I guess thematically, the seasons are all jumbled up together and the day and night are also jumbled up in this uh, strange fantasy area. So you are using dice in order to, you know, get stuff and also affect the overall area. There's really not much uh, else in the description, but there are a bunch of images and the artwork is stunning. I really like the look of it. I like dice games in general and I'm intrigued by the theme. And you know, honestly, if you have custom gorgeous looking dice like this, that's enough to grab my attention and have me want to learn a lot more about it. Uh, so that's kind of where I am right now with Brew. I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about it. Uh, next up, we have Concordia Solitaria. Uh, now, this is a uh, solo mode for Concordia. Um, it's essentially is a rule set that does have some components as well, and it lets you play against uh, a solo um, a Contrarius, I think it's called, uh, and you can even um, uh, play against the AI while playing against other people at the same time. Uh, now, I say all this because I've actually been doing a little bit of uh, playtesting for this one. Uh, Matt Gertz reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in it. Um, so um, I've, I've already uh, tried this one out and I'm planning on trying this with other people as well. Um, so I don't really have a whole lot more to say beyond um, the idea of this one is that you play a card like normal Concordia and then the AI does something based off of the card that you play. So there is um, essentially no randomness with what the AI specifically does, uh, but the, you do roll a die sometimes to change the outcome. Like it's going to do uh, build a building, but where it's going to build might be dictated by a die roll and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a solo expansion to Concordia, uh, which is a wonderful game at its heart. So I think a lot of people are going to be excited by this. Um, in general, I'm not super crazy about solo modes and games, but I really love Concordia and that was enough uh, for me to jump at the chance to uh, give uh, testing this one out a try. All right, next up we have Cryo. Uh, this one is a uh, uh, area majority uh, hand management worker placement style game, and the designer is Luke Laurie and Tom Jolly. Uh, Luke Laurie has designed uh, quite a few games that I have uh, liked in the past, in particular um, uh, Manhattan Project Energy Empire and some others that aren't really popping into my head at this moment. Uh, now, in this game, uh, I guess thematically there is a generation ship uh, going to another uh, solar system and it has veered off course and it's crash landing onto a planet and everybody is competing to try and save your people. Uh, the, the ship is broken and this planet is very cold and the sun is setting and so anybody who's still on the surface is going to perish. So it's a worker placement game as you're sending out drones um, to various spots on the board um, and it's my understanding that these drones um, will let you, you know, save your people, get various resources, but also I think there's a bit of engine building at play because when you pull your drones back to your player board, you can actually activate various bonuses that you placed onto your board. So it's, I believe, a worker placement style game where you send the workers out and then uh, recall them back at a certain time. And again, this seems like you actually get benefits for it. Uh, and that is kind of similar to Dwellings of Elrevale, which is also a design that uh, Luke Laurie um, was a designer for. Uh, so there is uh, some uh, follow through there. Uh, there appears to be a bunch of other things going on, uh, multi-use cards that can give you various benefits at certain times. And um, I love the look of it. The drones look awesome and the art style, um, it, it really pops off the board as far as I'm concerned. And in general, I like this style of worker placement game. Uh, and yeah, thematically, I think you're trying to get everybody um, underground and you can actually I think excavate more caverns and the farther underground you get, I think you might get more points. Again, I don't know all the specifics of it, but um, the art is vibrant. Uh, the designers have made good games in the past, and um, this appears to be just the kind of game that I like. So this is one that I'm hoping to try at some point. 
Next up, we have Santiba, or I guess the Center von Santiba. Uh, now, this game looks really fascinating. I first learned about it because Eric Martin made an overview video and posted it up on uh, Board Game Geek. Uh, now, the idea of this game is that um, on a player's turn, when they are the primary player, they are going to roll a set of dice, and then before they do anything, all of their opponents are going to simultaneously decide what die they think the primary player is going to activate. So um, I, I'm not sure the exact colors of them, but let's just pretend there's like a, a brown and a pink die. I think there are. Um, if, if I rolled those out there and I'm the active player and I want to activate the pink die, I don't say anything yet. And once everybody's made a decision, I say, okay, I'm activating the pink die. And everyone who thought I would activate the pink die can flip over a card showing that that's what they thought. And they actually get a benefit because they figured out what I was going to do. And then after I activate that pink die, I, as the active player, can once again activate another die that's in front of me. And there's a bit of push your luck, because if at any point all of my opponents have flipped over their prediction cards, then I think I essentially bust and I get uh, a consolation prize. So at a certain point, you might want to stop and not activate any more actions because you're worried that other people might have figured you out. Uh, so that seems really neat. It's a dice rolling style game where you're truly trying to get into the heads of your opponents, trying to figure out what they're going to do so that you can streamline off of their turns to actually get benefits for you and potentially spoil the benefits that they get. Uh, so overall, I think that's just a wonderful package. I'm not sure if this game is actually being published in uh, English. Oh, the, one of the designers is Leo Colavini, who has designed many games in the past. So so um, that definitely adds to my intrigue for this game as well. Um, it says it's 30 to 45 minutes for two to four players, uh, published by Zoc Verlag, I think in German. So yeah, th this is one uh, that's definitely on my list to try at like a future convention or something like that. I don't think I'm going to rush out and try to purchase a copy of it, but um, this sounds fascinating. It, it sounds like a really neat uh, experience, and I definitely want to try it at some point. All right, next up we have Dom Pierre. Uh, now, the main reason uh, this one jumped out to me is because of the designers. Costa and Rolla are a designer duo who've designed quite a few things over the last couple of years that have been published. Um, Cafe is one that pops into my head, but there have been several others. And um, in general, it seems like they have some pretty cool ideas. Uh, now, thematically, this game is all about champagne production. <laughs> uh, the description mostly talks about the history of champagne uh, creation and uh, production in France. And it says here that in this game, you are responsible for one of the oldest champagne masons. You will produce and sell wine all over Europe, even to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, and the local economy will be boosted, employment increased, and your brand will become universally recognized. It says the game flows in a chain of actions that start in your vineyard. You will need to look for continuous movement, constantly react to your opponents, and optimize your choices to build the most prestigious champagne mason. Um, now, as far as mechanics are concerned, it says there are action points, contracts, variable player powers, and worker placement. So worker placement is probably the primary thing going on here. There is an image of the box cover, but no images of what the game looks like so far. And that sounds interesting. I mean, I'm not particularly crazy about champagne. I think it's fine. But as far as a theme for a game is concerned, I'm intrigued. Uh, I've definitely seen games about wine production in the past, but this one is specific to champagne. And uh, these designers have done some pretty interesting stuff in the past. So all of this is enough for me to be quite intrigued by Dom Pierre. And I'm certainly looking forward to learning more about this one. All right, next up we have Dual Gauge. Uh, now, this one is designed by Amabel Holland, who has designed a bunch of uh, really good Cube Rails games. Um, I have been falling down a rabbit hole of Cube Rails for a while, 
and some of my favorite ones, like uh, Trans-Siberian Railroad, as well as Iberian Gage, uh, were designed by her. Uh, now, this game is being published by Hollenspiel, and they actually um, do print-on-demand with their publishing, which is kind of interesting. And I just learned about this game, um, realistically, about a month or so ago, when I continued my plummet down the rabbit hole that is Cube Rails games. Uh, so this game is a 60 to 90 minute train style game, and it is a system where you actually lay a couple of different types of track down. Um, that's the dual gauge <laughs> with narrow and standard, I believe. And then you actually buy stocks in various companies that have special uh, abilities, um, and then you run those companies trying to give them money and to try and make your stocks be better. I'm trying not to go into all the specifics of it, but I will say that I have ordered a copy of this one. I've not played it just yet. I am hopefully going to be playing this one actually in just a few days, um, but I have purchased a copy because I'm so intrigued by it. In particular, the thing that stands out about this game to me is it's been built as a system. Uh, so the base game comes with two maps, and the idea is that in the future, you can get more maps for it, and every map will change the rules a little bit. It'll tweak the gameplay in certain ways so that it's essentially like a cube rails sandbox to a certain extent, like it has a base set of rules, but then with new maps, you will have um, different gaming experiences. And that's part of the reason why I've been loving cube rails in general. It's just because one game feels so different from the next. And so the idea of kind of um, leaning into a system type of game, me already buying a copy for it, um, makes me very intrigued to see how this one plays with the maps that come in the base game. And then um, <laughs> I'm definitely getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I am anticipating buying more maps. I haven't even played it yet. I, but I fully expect to like this one. Uh, Heavy Cardboard did a full playthrough of this one, and I watched that um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that was definitely enough for me to say, yes, I want this, and yes, I also want to play it. All right, after that, we have Explorers. This is a 20-minute game uh, designed by Phil Walker-Harding and uh, published by Ravensburger. Uh, now, Phil Walker-Harding has designed a lot of very popular titles, uh, like Sushi Go and... Um, uh, Baron Park, uh, many others, but those are two that pop into my head. Um, in general, I think um, his designs are solid. I, I like the kind of stuff that he does. And this game is a, uh, I'm not sure if it's a roll and write or a flip and write. It looks like it's a flip and write because yeah, it says uh, in this game, you are explorers. And um, there are these exploration cards that you kind of set in to a display in front of you. And then as the game goes on, um, I think cards are flipped over and you cross off little uh, check marks on this display as you are exploring around. I think it's kind of like a snake game where it just shows the path that you've explored through all of this terrain. And when you bump into various symbols, that can unlock various benefits that you get. So it seems like it's a very light game. Obviously, it's set in uh, about 20 minutes, as it says. But um, I like the idea of it. I think that's a really neat idea to just wander through a landscape, try to uh, put yourself in a situation where you have lots of options. You don't want to just find yourself where only one type of landscape is what you can move on to next. And it seems like when you play the game, you build a board landscape in front of you that's going to be different each time, which is also quite intriguing. So um, this just looks like a fun game that I would love to try at some point. Probably not one that I run, uh, rush out to try and buy a copy of, but um, certainly would be high on my list to try at a convention. All right, next up we have Fall of the Mountain King. Uh, so this one is, uh, well, down here in the description, it says that this is the standalone prequel to In the Holes of the Mountain King, which was published by Burnt Island Games, and this one is also published by that publisher. Uh, so it says this is set during the catastrophic war which drove the trolls from the Mountain Kingdom generations ago. Uh, now, thematically, In the Holes of the Mountain King, uh, all players were trolls trying to reclaim 
um, the mountain that they were kicked out of before in a war against, I think, the gnomes? Yeah, gnomes. Uh, so in that game, you were trying to reclaim this mountain, and this one is a prequel where you were actually fighting the battle against the gnomes that were trying to kick you out of the mountain. Um, so it says under mechanisms that there is drafting, area majority and influence, and action points, and you are, I guess, competing against each other to also uh, fight off all of these gnomes. I don't think it's a cooperative game. I imagine it would have said so on here. Um, and at the moment, that's really all the information that we have up here on BGG, but that's enough for me to be quite intrigued. I thought In the Hall of the Mountain King had some exceptionally cool ideas. I think the designer is different for this game from that one, but Either way, uh, I liked the um, the first one, or I guess this is technically the prequel, so this one happened before, uh, but that's enough for me to be curious about it again. The art looks to be about the same, and I really liked the art in the last game, so um, this is enough for me to look forward to seeing some videos and whatnot of it anyway. Uh, right now, they just have the box cover and no images, so um, there's a lot that we can learn about it, and uh, and I'm, I'm quite intrigued. All right, next up we have Great Plains. This is a two-player only game that plays in about 20 minutes and it's published by Lookout Games who publish a lot of great games. Uh, Hallertau is one of the uh, most recent ones that I picked up from them, but they oftentimes do big, heavy games and also they have a lot of um, streamlined two-player games as well. Uh, now this one uh, does not have a lot of uh, information on it. Uh, it says Great Plains is a mysterious game about a not-so-mysterious behavior of our kind. Two players are competing for the dominance over the Great Plains. With the help from the spiritual animal world, they overcome hills, cross the lowlands, and invade each territory um, in order to become the tribe who lives on. Um, so that's really all that it has. They do have an image of a render of what the game looks like, though. It appears you're putting down um, little animal tokens, uh, and you are. there's a bunch of icons on the board and a bunch of little walls and stuff. So I really don't know how all this works. There are resources that people definitely have in front of them. So I'm looking forward to learning more about this. There's probably not a lot of rules, considering it's a 20-minute game for two players. Uh, under mechanisms, it says it has a modular board with a hexagon grid and area majority influence. So that's cool. I didn't realize it was a modular grid. Uh, I do like seeing that. Oh, yeah. The render they have uh, definitely shows that it's uh, various larger tiles that are smushed together, so the gameplay area is going to be different each time you play. Yeah, so that's Great Plains. Um, not a lot about it online so far, but um, definitely enough to uh, have me intrigued. Next up, we have Hashi. Uh, this one is designed by Jeffrey Allers, and this one jumped out to me because it's, it's essentially a competitive logic puzzle. Apparently, there's a type of logic puzzle called Hashi or Bridges and that's all about connecting islands with bridges, but this one actually makes it a competitive game. Uh, they do have an image of what this looks like on BGG. Um, there's essentially a bunch of islands, and in the game, there is a deck of cards, and you flip over a card, and then everyone takes that number, and they write it onto an island that's currently empty, and then the cards also show a number of bridges, and you can draw bridges from the island that you just drew the number onto, and I believe you only score islands if they have a number of bridges going off of them that exactly matches the number on them. I think there's a little bit more to it, but that's the overall puzzle is uh, trying to match the number of bridges to the islands as you're placing all of these out. And obviously everybody's competing to do this at the same time based off of the same random input. Um, so that's cool. I, I like that kind of stuff in general. In general, I like roll and writes that are simultaneous like this. And the idea of having a roll and write that's also a logic puzzle, uh, more so than, than a lot of other ones are, um, has me intrigued to try this one out. 
Next up, we have Juicy Fruits. Uh, this one is being published by Deep Print Games and I believe Capstone. And there's a decent sized description on here, but there's also uh, the rulebook was posted. So I skimmed through that to get a, a reasonable idea of how this game plays. Um, they've got a bunch of images on BoardGameGeek, which is nice. And the main mechanic of this game appears to be sliding these various tiles around your own player board. Um, you do a couple things in the game, but the main thing involves pushing these tiles in an orthogonal direction, and each tile has a fruit on it. And the number of spaces that tile moves will be the amount of that fruit that you actually get. Um, now your board is kind of clogged up around the edges with these boats, so you're trying to get this uh, fruit and then give it to the boat so the boat goes away, and then with the boat gone, that frees up more space on your area to push the tiles farther, which is going to generate you more fruit. So it seems like it's a cool little mini game puzzle here um, to generate this stuff. You can push a tile once and it'll give you one orange, or you can push it four times and you'll get four orange out of that single action. And I imagine this game is really all about positioning things to plan a couple turns ahead to move this so that this could go over there and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's more to it. There's like a business board and you're trying to fulfill these business contracts. And I didn't go into all the specifics of the rulebook. I was just curious in the um, overall vibe of the game and that puzzle alone of just sliding things around to get uh, resources that you then use is uh, intriguing enough for me to uh, certainly want to try this. This sounds pretty neat. All right, next up we have uh, an expansion. Uh, spoiler alert, the one after this is also an expansion. Uh, this is Keeper at Sea, which is an expansion for Keeper, which is a really good game. I really like Keeper. It's part of the Key series of games. They all have the word Key in them. Uh, and this uh, Keeper, anyway, is a brilliant worker placement game with a bunch of other things going on that I really don't want to go into the specifics of. Uh, but in general, I'm not crazy about expansions, but I like Keeper so much that I am quite intrigued by this one. Um, this one says, says that uh, it adds two versions of um, oceanfaring, essentially, to the game. You have a shallow water version and a deep water mode. And the vibe I'm getting here is that the shallow water mode actually replaces the boards that you do worker placement on with, uh, and the new ones um, are, they're kind of flippy boards like the original Keeper, which I'm not going to go into the details of, um, but you, you swap out the old ones and you put these ones in and you use them. Whereas if you play the deep water game, you actually use these in addition to the regular worker placement spots. So it sounds like the shallow water might be maybe a lighter experience or a similar uh, weight experience to the original keeper. Whereas the deep water one where you add these in uh, could make it a more um, deep and uh, uh, lengthy experience. I'm not really sure, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more about how this one goes. Um, I do love keeper. Uh, I'm not totally on board with actually uh, getting this one just yet, because again, I tend to have an aversion to expansions just because it can be harder to actually get the game to the table because there's more rules, but my love for Keeper is enough to be quite intrigued by this. And speaking of that, the next one is Keeper Leader, which is another expansion to Keeper. Uh, this one seems like it's probably smaller. Um, and it says that in this one, there's this new country tile where when you place a uh, Keeple onto it, it lets you do a double placement of another worker, which can be a really powerful action. And it specifically says they didn't even add this into the base game because they felt it was very strong and potentially disruptive. So it's kind of a advanced way to play the game, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure if I really want this, but but I'm really intrigued to know it exists. And I'm going to keep my eye on it, especially when I look into the previous expansion, because it's possible these might both be um, offered at the same time. I'm not really sure about the distribution of these yet. But um, yeah, my love for Keeper has me intrigued to see the details of how these work. Next up, we have Llama Land, and this is another design by Phil Walker Harding. Uh, he did the Explorers game I talked about 
some number of minutes ago. Uh, now, this one says that uh, in the game, uh, you are a farmer in Llama Land, and it's not easy because there's hills and mountains all around, and there are growing potatoes, corn, and cocoa on the slopes, and you are trying to, I guess, farm all of these llamas out here on the land. Now, the thing that jumped out to me is the look of this game, because they do have an image or a render of what the game looks like, and it appears this is a tile stacking game where you're stacking on various um, shaped tiles to make hillsides, and they've got a bunch of icons on them, and then you're putting the llamas on top of the hillsides. I don't really know what the llamas are doing. I'm assuming they might be eating the food or maybe helping you harvest it. Um, there's a bunch of cards out here as well, so it looks like there's some stuff going on, although I'm not expecting a terribly deep experience, but I'm a sucker for uh, tile stacking type of games. I love the aesthetic appeal of uh, components uh, built up to make various um, uh, geographical areas, and it looks like this game does that to a certain extent, so that is enough for me to be intrigued and uh, for me to want to know more about how this one works. After that, we have London and Northwestern, which is guaranteed to be a game I would not have paid any attention to even two months ago. Uh, this is a Cube Rails game designed by Amabel Holland, uh, who I just mentioned before because uh, she was the designer of Dual Gauge as well. And um, this is a winsome game, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but you can't really get a copy of this. <laughs> I'm putting this on the list because I learned about it as I dove down the uh, the well of learning about Cube Rails games, in particular, as I've really enjoyed Amabel Holland's designs. Uh, so this is another one, and I um, actually heard an interview she did on a podcast where she mentioned that um, she really liked this one or a, a design of hers, so that um, put it right on my list, and I went to Board Game Geek to be like, what is Nor London and Northwestern? And it seems like part of the catch for this game is that um, there's a bunch of train companies, but you start the game as the president of one, and you kind of run it for the whole game, I believe. I have not played this game. I want to. Uh, but uh, my understanding is in this game, there are stocks as well, but you kind of have to buy other stocks, stocks in other people's companies, not really your own, as you are then running these train companies out on the map. Um, that's the extent of my knowledge of this one, but uh, it is on my list of Cube Rails games that I would love to try at some point, because so far I think I've played about nine of them over the last six or seven weeks, and I've enjoyed essentially all of them. So I am just so gung-ho to continue to learn more and more of these. In particular, I'm a Bell Hollands, because uh, I've been very impressed with uh, her design so far. All right, next up we have Metro City Edition. Uh, apparently, this is the 20th edition of a game called Metro that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> and this one has uh, new city expansions and stuff in it. Uh, so I guess this is a um, uh, games radar bit for this version and also for the original version of Metro. Uh, I looked into it a little bit, and this appears to be the kind of game that I like. Um, it's uh, a game where you put these square tiles down to expand out a grid of squiggly little paths. Uh, it starts out simple, but as you add more of these funky path tiles, the paths get longer and longer. Um, now, apparently, the trick for this game is unlike many other games like it, where you're trying to get from A to B as quickly as you can, this one is all about getting from A to B as slowly as you can, so it's the longest swirling uh, path around, and a game called Past Tally is another one that does this that I love. Uh, I own Past Tally still, I've played that one a few times, so the fact that this one also does that same kind of thing, and maybe a slightly less analysis paralysis inducing state, uh, has me curious. Uh, Past Tally is wonderful, but it's a tile stacking, um, squiggly line game, and it can really break some people's brains. This one appears to be just on the table, and uh, it just has a wonderful aesthetic to it. So this is one that I would love to try at some point. I just love building out squiggly weird paths and running things through them. It's it's a uh, mechanic in games that, um, so far, I haven't gotten sick of. 
All right, next up we have Moctezuma. Uh, now, this one is being published by Devere Games, and it has a really interesting theme. So, um, essentially, there's a pretty decent description over here. Um, the theming is you are the Mexica people and the Spanish ships have arrived. The Spanish invaders are essentially trying to uh, 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 conquer your area. And in this game, you are defending yourselves against these um, Western invaders. Um, it doesn't really say anything beyond it, that it is a hand management game for mechanisms. I'm not even sure if it's cooperative or competitive. It's kind of hard to say, but um, it does say that you have to collaborate to defend the city of Tecnotichlan. And um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if that cooperation, that collaboration is uh, everybody wins or loses together, or if, you know, you could all lose, but one person wins. Um, so that means I'd like to learn more, but I definitely like the idea of the theme of um, not, you know, going into a place and conquering it, but actually being the people trying to stop the conquerors that are coming in uh, to their native lands. I think um, that is a theme that you see a lot less often than the other one. So uh, I definitely like seeing that more explored. All right, next up we have Nine Ravens, which is a re-implementation of a game called Five Ravens. Uh, Five Ravens was originally uh, self-published uh, by the designer of the game. Um, their publisher name was Hyperbole Games, and uh, this went up on Kickstarter several years ago. I remember looking at it and I was this close to backing it. I love the art in this game. It's, it's a, a wonderful aesthetic, and it seems like it's a very kooky card uh, uh, hand management style game, I believe. Uh, let's see. It says that it's a deck and bag uh, building style game with hand management. Okay, so it's got that stuff going on it as well. And uh, this had a very tiny print run uh, to the best of my understanding. So now Matigo has actually signed it. Uh, Grant Rodiak is still the designer. And instead of five ravens, it's now nine ravens. Uh, so once again, this is a deck uh, a building style game. And I think it uses the same mechanics of the previous game. Um, but I guess there's nine different ravens instead of five. Uh, this one plays two to four players. And I don't really know much more more about it other than the first one had a wonderful aesthetic and it was a game that I kind of always wanted to try but I never actually made happen. Uh, I was pretty close to backing that Kickstarter, but that was during a time period where I was backing essentially no Kickstarters. Uh, I think if that popped up on Kickstarter right now, I would probably pull the trigger for it. Uh, but either way, I think it's great to see um, a, a great designer who has you know published a game in the past, kind of proven the game's worth, and then seeing that design get picked up by an even larger publisher and trying to push it more. And I, I'm assuming there's been some more development considering it's nine Ravens instead of five. Um, this is just the kind of thing that I like to see in board games. And I'm curious to learn more about this one. Next up, we have Pompero, and this one is designed by Julian Pompo. Uh, now, their name is familiar. I think they, yes, uh, they were one of the designers for Mercado de Lisboa, which was an excellent game. I really was impressed with that one. Uh, so this one uh, has a decent-sized description, but realistically, it's all about the uh, wind industry. Uh, the, the tagline at the top says you build wind farms and then expand and improve your grid to master the energy market. Um, it appears to be a not particularly light game. It says uh, 60 to 150 minutes, and the artist is going to be Ian O'Toole, which I love the the boards that he designs, uh, so I'm quite interested to see what this one ends up looking like. Um, now, mechanically, it says it's got action retrieval, deck uh, building, end game bonuses, hand management, income, and four different things uh, in addition to the ones I've said already. So there's a lot going on here, um, but it does seem like it's a card-driven action selection game uh, where you have a set of cards, and I think you probably build it, considering it does say deck building over here, and you are using these to build out a wind farm infrastructure. Um, right now, there's no images of what the board does look like, so you can kind of like 
figure out the vibe of the game, but not really exactly how all this stuff works. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how it does work. Uh, I think the theme is pretty cool, uh, focusing on the uh, uh, building and management of wind farms. That's definitely not a theme I've played with in the past. Um, so hopefully I get a chance to try this one at some point in the future. Uh, next up, we have Port Royal, the big box. Uh, there's not a lot to say about this one. Uh, apparently, this is a big box containing the base game of Port Royal with the first expansion and the second expansion, and it also has a graphics overhaul. Uh, to set it to a modern standard, according to uh, the description on BGG. Uh, Port Royal is a great game. Uh, I loved this one back when I was really getting into the hobby, uh, around the time when it first came out. Um, well, I guess I was in the hobby for a few years before that, but if memory serves, uh, this uh, original one came out in like 2012. Actually, let's see. 2014. Okay, there we go. Uh, I thought it was 2012, but yeah. So this one came out in 2014, and I played it a bunch. It's a push-your-luck tableau building game with a bit of engine building going on, designed by Alexander Pfister. And it's really great to see that a big box version of it is coming out with all of the good expansions and all that stuff uh, packaged up into one box. I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. Right now, they don't have any images or graphics of it online. I probably won't get this because I currently still own the game and the first expansion, and that's good enough for me, but I'm just glad to see that the game is continuing to be supported. All right, next up we have Raising Chicago, which is uh, is uh, published by Spielworks Games. Uh, now, this one has a fascinating theme. Right now, there are no um, images of what the game looks like, but apparently um, in the mid-1800s, uh, when the city of Chicago in the United States um, decided to invest in getting a sewer system, they could not dig under the ground in order to do it because of various geological reasons. So instead, they built the sewer system at ground level and raised the entire city above the sewer system. Uh, that is such a fascinating historical thing to have happened, and especially, it's a really cool thing to uh, design a whole game around. Um, as far as mechanics are concerned, it does not say a lot on Board Game Geek right now, it just says investment. Um, when I look over at the description, uh, it says that you are one of the companies that's uh, created to tackle the problem of raising up the city. I'm not really sure how the specifics of this work, but I feel like this could be a really fascinating experience. Uh, in general, it seems like Spielworks does often tackle really interesting themes in games, um, you know, to like start with a, a fascinating thing that happened and then try to build a game around it. Uh, the Cost was another one that did uh, uh, that same kind of situation, that one with the evils of the asbestos industry. Um, and uh, this one is all about lifting an entire city up. Uh, so uh, at some point in the future, I'm sure we'll start to see images and graphics and hopefully videos of how this one works because uh, I am super intrigued by the theming of this game. Uh, next up, we have an expansion. This one is Ride the Rails Australia and Canada. Uh, now, Ride the Rails is a cube rails game, one of the uh, nine or so that I've learned over the last couple of, uh, or last few weeks. And I really enjoyed my only play of it so far. And it's great to see more expansion maps being made for it. Uh, there was already a map bundle that came out last year. Um, I forget the name of those maps. But anyway, this is the second map bundle. It brings in a Australia side and a Canada side. And each one of these new maps slightly alters the way the game works. So this is somewhat similar to the dual gauge thing I talked about earlier, where you have a framework for a game, and then you have expansion maps that make each game feel uh, more different than just like, oh, the map shape is different. Like, they actually subtly tweak rules here and add new incentives and bonuses there. And I just really like seeing that. Um, I am um, hypothetically going to be actually making a sponsored video for Ride the Rails using one of these two maps. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning more about it. I definitely will. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, next up we have Rise of the Round Table. Uh, this one is being published by Quick Simple Fun Games, which is interesting because I feel like they published a ton of things many years ago, and then I haven't really heard about them for a while. Uh, but either way, th there's not a lot of information about this game on Board Game Geek yet, but the reason I am uh, intrigued by it and the reason I'm following it is because it says uh, this is a Euro game at its heart. You use a unique rondelle movement system to position pieces on the board, gather resources, and complete tasks given by King Arthur. Um, that's essentially all that Board Game Geek says, uh, beyond, I guess, it being a 50 to 90 minute game. Um, and I want to learn about this unique rondelle movement system. Uh, I, in general, I like rondelles, which are a mechanic where you have a some sort of um, track or a circular track type thing. Sometimes it's a circle, sometimes it isn't, and you move along it in a certain direction, and the amount of options that you have are dictated by what's in front of you on that um, circle or track. Um, so this one says it has a unique take on a rondelle, and I've enjoyed rondelles in the past. So um, the the main reason I'm paying attention to this one is just to learn more about that Rondell movement system to then see if this is actually a game that I'm interested in playing. Next up, we have Rivet Heads. This one is being published by New Mill Industries, which is a uh, pretty new publisher, uh, and um, they have a few designs um, coming out. I don't know if any of them are fully published yet. Actually, I think Science and Seance Society is, but either way, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, this game, uh, it seems like it's kind of a uh, cyberpunk theming. Um, they don't have any images of what the game looks like, although the rulebook is uh, currently posted on BGG, and I gave it a quick skim. Uh, now, this is a 30 to 45 minute game, and the header for it says you are swapping out augments for your cyberpunk crew, trying to be the best squad on the streets. Um, when I skimmed through the rulebook, it seemed like this game uses had like a uh, assembly line type mechanic where there's a lot of cards and you are deciding on cards and putting them into a line that's going to shift. Again, I didn't go into the specifics of it, so don't pay attention to this to actually learn how to play the game. But I liked what I saw enough to uh, be intrigued to see more about it. I mean, I, get, I did say that there is a rule book online, which I should go into the nitty gritty of, but it doesn't really have that many visuals of what the game looks like in general. And um, this is also one that I'd love to see a video of just to kind of understand how the overall flow is. I'm sure I could get that if I worked my way through the rule book slowly, but um, <laughs> I had 33 games that I wanted to refresh myself on for this vlog, so I didn't read the rule book for every single one of them that was actually out there. Uh, so this one jumped out to me because it's an up-and-coming new publisher with a cool theme, and I think it probably has some cool ideas. And uh, this is one, I've downloaded the rule book. This is one that I intend to read the rule book for uh, soon. All right, next up we have Solani. And this game is on the list because I think this is the most beautiful game out of all of the games that I'm talking about today. Uh, they have a bunch of images of it on BGG. And, oh man, I just think this game is stunning. It's got a... a uh, it's got these circle tokens and these kind of cross tokens that are placed together on each player's own little area, and you are thematically building out a constellation in front of you. Um, there's a, several videos about it online. I think it might be on Kickstarter either right now or was, uh, but either way, uh, I watched one of the videos briefly enough to see that um, each player has their own constellation area, and each round you are drafting, I believe, one of the circle tiles and one of the cross tiles, and you're trying to place these in front of you to match up with goal cards that you have um, that will score you victory points for how you place these in front of you. Uh, I just think it's it's a gorgeous looking game. I'm, I'm a big sucker for this kind of line art. Uh, I love tile laying type things, and this is a game that has two different types of tiles, essentially, 
with the disc and the cross that kind of nest in on each other in a very satisfying tessellation style way. So um, that is Solani. I, I've actually only watched one of the videos and I'm intending to watch several of the other ones, maybe the more in-depth ones to get an even better feel for how the game goes. Uh, I'm definitely judging the, the game by its cover, or I guess by its components right now, and uh, <laughs> the judgment right now is two thumbs up. Uh, as far as the mechanics are concerned, it does seem like the kind of game that I would enjoy as well. All right, next up we have the Paradox Initiative, which is a re-implementation of Paradox, which is a game that came out many years ago, I guess 2016. Um, I remember this game when it first came out. I never actually played it, but it is a, um, I guess they call it a bejeweled style game where you have a match three type uh, system in front of you. And uh, as you are playing through the game, you are trying to make sets of three on your little player area, trying to essentially solve time travel paradoxes that are happening around you. Um, that's largely what I know about this game is the match three type thing and some awesome art in the time paradox type of thing that's going on. And so when it comes to the new version, there's not a lot of information about how it's different from the previous one. Maybe it's just a straight reprint. I'm really not sure, but it is being published by a different publisher. This one is going to be Elf Creek Games, who is a, uh, a longtime uh, client of mine. I've made several videos for them in the past, and I'm hoping to make a video for this one. It's likely going to happen. There have been some emails, but nothing confirmed just yet. Uh, so I've always liked time travel uh, mechanics in board games. Not so much in media, <laughs> but in board games, I think it's a really cool uh, thing to explore. Uh, and I'm not sure how much traveling you're doing in time versus just watching the ramifications of various paradoxes that are happening. Uh, but I also like um, little mini game type things that I've already talked about in the past uh, for some of the games I've talked about earlier, like Juicy Fruits. Well, this one has a mini game of match three, trying to put these tokens down to puzzle things out to get to your end goals. And um, that was enough to be intrigued by the 2016 version. And I'm still intrigued by this one here. All right, next up is uh, the final one I'm talking about, and it's called Tiny Turbo Cars. And the reason I, I scoffed is because this is also a game that grabbed my attention because of a mini game. That's actually the entire reason that I paid attention to this one and why I'm talking about it. Uh, now, this is a, uh, I believe it's a racing game. It says it's got an action queue and modular board and that kind of thing. But the reason I'm talking about it is because each player is given a puzzle in front of them. It's a sliding puzzle. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these, but you have a uh, grid in it and there's a bunch of little tiles that slide back and forth and one is missing. And the way you move things around is you slide these things around into the gap and you're trying to put things into the spots that you want them to be. Normally you're trying to assemble a photo, but in this game, you are actually programming how your car will move. Uh, I believe only the internal four um, uh, tiles will be what the car actually does in the order that they uh, these icons are in is going to dictate what the car will do. And I think in real time, everybody is doing this little sliding puzzle in front of them. And as soon as you are done, you put your controller down and the order in which people finish messing around with their puzzle will be the order in which the cars will activate. And I think these cars, um, what they do is going to vary based off of what other cars are doing, which means if you go earlier, then you'll have more control over the situation. Whereas if you stop later, then a lot of other things will have happened that you couldn't even plan for. So there might be a little bit more chaos that goes on. Uh, so it is called Tiny Turbo Cars. It looks like the theming of it is they're, they're like small little cars in a house or probably a variety of different terrains. And 
I just love the idea of taking a sliding block puzzle like this and turning it into an uh, action programming system and a little racing game. Again, I'm not even sure if it's racing. Maybe you're just trying to be the last one alive, or maybe you're trying to get victory points, but you are driving around in tiny little cars with a cool little uh, controller uh, mechanic, and that gimmick is enough for me to be intrigued by this one. Uh, again, like many others I've said today, I don't think I'm going to rush out and buy this one because of it, but this one would be pretty high on my list to try at Board Game Geek Con or something like that to experience how it plays in a setting where it would likely be available. Uh, so yeah, that is uh, me finishing up talking about 33 new games and expansions that have uh, jumped out to me over the last few months. Um, I know I say this every time, but in general, I try to do these every month, but it seems like they tend to come out more quarterly every two to three months. And that's probably going to be the same situation going forward. Uh, there were a lot of games for me to sift through on this. Uh, I did it over the course of several sittings. I think there were probably over 2,000 listings that got posted up onto BoardGameGeek that I went to to distill down to this list of 33. So that is reason enough, I think, to try and make me do it more often, but we'll see how things go in the future. Either way, that is going to bring this Games Radar podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.